Good morning, Axe Church. <clears throat> oh, it is a good morning. It is a good morning. Dramatic morning, isn't it? Do you watch those videos? But uh, what we're talking about is actually a pretty interesting topic this morning. We're talking all about addiction. I want to start by asking you an interesting question. What are you addicted to? What are you addicted to? Some of us this morning, as soon as I ask that question, you know exactly what the answer is. Some of you have already experienced it. You know it. Maybe even just watching those videos, you immediately know, I have an addiction. Some more of us, however, <clears throat> might be thinking, I don't, I don't have any addiction. That's not me. But the truth is, every single one of us have an addiction one way or another. All of us are addicted to something. Every single one of us. Every one of you. Addiction is defined as this, a persistent compulsive use. And to be addicted is to devote or surrender oneself to something habitually or excessively. You know, it actually turns out that addiction is pretty common. Extremely common. Just in the U.S., let me give you a couple numbers here. In the U.S., one out of five adults are smokers. Over 50% of Americans drink on a regular basis, ongoing basis. Those are people who have two, three, four drinks a day. 50% almost. Obviously not all those people are drunks, but people who are addicted. 25% of people who have internet access at work look at pornography at work. 25%. Now, if you guys know anything about working at a place where you have internet access, that's an easy way to get terminated to get fired from your job. But 25% is still so addicted they can't go a day at work without looking at pornography and risking being fired. 1% of female adolescents have anorexia. 2.5% of all Americans abuse prescription drugs. And 1% of our, of our population are outright pathological liars. Interesting, huh? You know, the problem with stats like this, though, is that they're never really on the mark because these are only people who will admit their addictions. That stat is based off of people who will admit that they have problems, but there's a tremendous amount more who won't. Tracking illegal drug use is way harder than any of those because no one wants to admit that they're doing illegal drugs. But here's a really quick test for us, just real quick, if we can be honest. If you or somebody you know, a friend, has ever had an addiction to illegal drugs, just go ahead and raise your hand. See, it's a pretty fair number, isn't it? Statistics are hard to find on it because people are ashamed to, to admit it, but a lot of us have known people who've dealt <clears throat> with addiction to real illegal drugs. I have in my life as well, too. Addictions come in all different shapes, all different sizes, to all different people. doesn't matter whether you're white, black, Mexican, Asian, your ethnicity isn't going to change one bit. doesn't matter if you're high class or low class. People who are in, you, you would think, well, people who maybe don't have as much money, they have addictions, and those people who, you know, have, no, it's not true. People who have tremendous amounts of money, just as much addiction as people who are poor. Everyone faces addiction. But what's interesting, though, is, is addictions can look different than anything we've ever seen. Some people would say, I'm not addicted. But, you know, even things that are, are beneficial, like relationships and exercise, can become addictions in our life. They can come to a place where we devote or surrender ourselves to them habitually and excessively. 
The problem is addictions start off small, very small. At first, they're just a little part of your life, just a, a, a corner of it. But after a while, what happens is those, those things that we are becoming addicted to begin to be more and more prominent in our life. They stick around. They don't disappear. Soon enough, you feel like you can't get rid of them. And then before long, the addictions begin to feel like chains around your neck. You can't get rid of them. Here's a good, a good short little thing for what addictions are. People hate them, but they can't break them. You'll see that when people really, really realize they're addicted, they begin to hate their addiction. But yet still, they can't do anything to fight it. Here's a good, a good cross-section of that. Believe it or not, of the one, of five, you know, one out of every five adults are smokers in the United States. 70% of that want to quit. 70%. 40% try every single year, and only 7% succeed. People can't break those addictions. People come to a place where they realize that they no longer have control of these things that are addictions, but then the addictions have control of them, and they can't do anything about it. And what happens is they begin to feel like a prisoner in their own bodies to their addictions. There's this uh, story in Acts 12, and if you guys have your, your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to it, or I'll go ahead and read it for you. But I'm going to read out of the message for this, for this section. And um, in Acts 12, it's a story about, about Peter. Um, and this is what it says. That's when King Herod got into, the, into his head to go after some of the church members. He murdered James, John's brother, when he saw how much it raised his popularity ratings with the Jews, he arrested Peter, all this during the Passover week, mind you, and had him thrown in the jail, putting four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. He was planning a public lynching after the Passover. Four, uh, four groups of four guards equals mass students. Boom, 16. Good job. 16 guards watching him. All the time, Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse. The church prayed for him most strenuously. Then the time came for Herod to bring him out for the kill. That night, even though he was shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. And there were guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place. My guess is there's two guards shackled to him and then the 14 remaining outside watching the door. Herod was taking no chances, obviously. Suddenly there was an angel in his room and light flooding the room. The angel shook Peter and got him up. Hurry, the handcuffs fell off his wrists. The angel said, get dressed, put on your shoes, and Peter did it. Then grab your coat and let's get out of here. Peter followed him, but he didn't believe it was really an angel. He thought that he was simply dreaming. Past the first guard, then the second, they came to the iron gate that led into the city. It swung open before them on its own. And they were out on the, on the street, free as the breeze. At the first intersection, the angel left him, going his own way. And that's when Peter realized this was no dream. I can't believe it. This really happened. The master sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's vicious little production and the spectacle the Jewish mob was looking so forward to. The story of Peter is really interesting. When the Christians first got going, if you guys don't know the story, because not all of us have spent time to study Christian history, but when Christianity first took place, man, they were hated. They were murdered because people couldn't stand it. The Jews hated the Christians because they thought it was a false messiah. So they were happy when Christians were rounded up and murdered. It was like, Sport for them. They loved it. So Peter's placed under guard and he's chained and he's bound to be murdered before this group. And what happens is it says he sleeps like a baby. I love that. He's so calm in his relationship with the Lord. Some people find themselves at the place that Peter found himself <clears throat> in the story. 
they find themselves so addicted and so chained down that it seems impossible that they could ever get out of it. And you know what? At the same time, it appears that death is right around the corner, that they're so sick from these addictions. There's people who I've known who have been at the brink of death because of their addiction, friends who've dealt with stuff like cocaine addiction, who at times when they've come back and talked to me, they've literally been at the brink of death weeks earlier. And they find themselves at this same place that Peter's at. Peter was taken from this place where his circumstance had him trapped, where he was chained down and imprisoned, and by God's intervention, he was brought free again. If you're dealing with addiction this morning, of whatever, of whatever type, um, you'd agree with me that you realize you can't fix this problem on your own. Maybe some of you guys have had addictions and you've tried. You've tried to fix it, you've tried to fight through it, and you've only failed. Maybe some of you guys don't even try because you realize there's nothing I can do about this addiction. It's far too big for me to fix it. And I want to tell you this morning, you're completely right. The addiction is too big for you. Most people, by the time they realize they are addicted, they are so entrenched in their addictions that there's no way for them to claw their way back out. It's almost impossible. Very, very difficult. But the good news is this. This morning, for us, for all the people outside of these doors, they are not alone. In Mark, uh, in, in chapter 10, it says this, in 23 through 27, uh, it's a story Jesus was teaching his disciples. He said, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There are many people that are so, so caught up in addiction, and it could be us this morning, it could be anyone, that reality is, for them to break that addiction, it is impossible. But we serve a God who says that with me, all things are possible. Without me, there's no hope. With me, there's infinite hope. If you talk to people who've dealt with addiction for a long time, people who are specialists on it, or just people who've been in, in that scene for a long time, you'll notice an interesting way that they talk about addiction. And you, you begin to realize the way they talk about addiction is the same way that we talk about sickness. Same wording, same terminology on how they talk about it. You, believe it or not, alcoholism is classified now as a, as a disease. Alcoholism is a disease that we can have. And addictions, often when they talk about them, it's talked about in the same way that people are sick. The same terminology. I'm going to go deb on you for a minute. And I'm going to give you guys a verse that you can remember about addictions. Here's what it is. Jesus can heal addictions because he can heal afflictions. Got it? Lock it in. Jesus can heal addictions because he can heal afflictions. I, thank you, Deb. You're, I love it. I want to share with you this story, and it's in, it's in Luke, and it's, man, I love any time you look. I'm telling you guys, if you guys aren't taking time to read, read your Bible, you need to just take a little bit of time. Jump into Luke and just start reading about what Jesus does and it'll blow your mind. It's stories like this. It says in Luke 13, 10, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from Christianese. Sabbath, Sunday, the day of rest, okay? Day of church and stuff like that. But they were in the synagogues, which is the church. 
And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, and she praised God. Indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, basically means one of God's children, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? When he said this, his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Now if you notice this picture of this crippled woman when she comes, but the words Jesus uses to describe her condition is bound by Satan, chained down, tied down to her afflictions. Jesus healed her. And I believe this story would be no different if it was today. And instead of a woman who was crippled, it was a woman with a heroin addiction. The story would go the exact same way. Instead of saying, this woman bound and crippled for 18 years, Jesus would say, this woman bound by Satan and addicted to heroin for 18 years on this Sabbath deserves to be set free. It's the same thing. Those afflictions and those addictions, they come in the same light, in the same package. It's a way that Satan knocks us down and keeps us down in our lives. He can heal addictions because he can heal afflictions. God can heal you of your addictions, not just a Bible story. But the same power that was in Jesus then is in power in, in, in Jesus today. It says that he was resurrected after he died. I don't know if you guys have, have caught all that picture, but he was murdered. And then he raised back to life and went back up to heaven. He beat death. His power still exists here on this earth today in the Holy Spirit. But get this. God can heal your addictions by, by two, main, two main reasons why I know this, okay? And I want you to get this. I've said it before, but I want you to keep going back to this. It's because God is great and because God is good. God is great and God is good. Because simply being a great God wouldn't do anything. Because that doesn't mean he cares about us. And simply being a, a good God wouldn't do anything. Because if he didn't have the power to do something about it, it wouldn't matter. But he is both great and good. There's these two stories in the Bible. First one comes in, in, in Mark uh, 17 through 27. And you can just listen to this here, but it's, it's a simple story. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth, uh, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. O believing generation, oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, well, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for he who believes. I love this. He says, if you can do something, take pity on us. And Jesus' response was, if I can, if I can, is everything is possible. Everything is possible for he who believes. 
And he says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him so violently, and then came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. He says, can I? He's like, I can. I can do something about this. But at the same time, literally just a few chapters before, there's this other story of a man who approaches Jesus. And he has leprosy. And he says this. He came to him and he begged Jesus on his knees. If you are willing, can you make me clean? And filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. And he says this. I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left his body. These two stories point to me a Savior and a God who both can and will. And the same thing that applies to those afflictions apply to our addictions today. That we serve a God who's both great and good, a God who can do something about our addictions, and also will do something about our addictions if we ask him to help. The power that brought, I mean, that was brought by Jesus is the same thing that's brought today. It says that when Jesus entered into his ministry, he sought the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came down on him. It says that when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit to be a comforter in this world. The same power which Jesus used to heal people 2,000 years ago is the same Holy Spirit that sits here with us today who can break the chains of our addiction. That Holy Spirit chain breaker is right here with us this morning and willing to do something about our addictions. Some of you still can't admit the fact that you have an addiction. You're still thinking, man, this is a great message for dot, dot, dot. I really wish so-and-so was here. Man, the person sitting next to me is really getting convicted right now because this is for them. We all have addictions. Many of us, we have addictions we've not yet admitted to. And interestingly enough, the addictions we have are often generated by our freedoms. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, this is a really great comment. It says, this is Paul talking, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will be mastered, I will not be mastered by anything. It's true. It is completely true that having a cigarette, having a beer, hanging out with that certain person, watching that movie, eating that food, it's probably not going to condemn you to hell. I'll admit that. But the things that we often take advantage of, saying, these are my freedoms. I can do all things. I live in a, in a, in a day of freedom because of Jesus Christ. Those things that we so freely grab onto are often things that, soon enough, they chain us down. They become our addictions. They become our chains. Second Peter 2.19 says this, A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Whatever has more control over you than you have control over it, it says you're now a slave. How is a slave kept track of? They're put in chains so they can't get away. Without knowing it ourselves, many of us have marched into a prison, locked the door behind us, and put chains around our ankles and our hands by exercising our freedoms, our freedoms in this world. 
And instead, those freedoms have become chains. They've become our captors. I have a test for you guys. Some of you still. I'm not addicted. I'm not. Not me. Not me. Here's what I want you to do. This week, if there's one thing you think, well, maybe, maybe that's my, maybe, maybe I am addicted to that. Here's a test for you. Today, decide you're not going to do it. And if in a week from now, you can come back on Sunday morning, and it was no problem to let go of it. No problem. Today, I decide, you know what, I'm not doing that. I go through the week, no problem, come back next Sunday. Not even an issue. You might only be partially addicted to that. You might only be partially addicted to that thing. Most experts say that if you truly aren't addicted to something, you should be able to stop it cold turkey for 30 days, one month. If you're not addicted to something, you should be able to say, not going to do it, and it should be no problem to stop for 30 full days. So if you can make a week, maybe you're only partially addicted to it. If you can make it for 30 days, you're probably not. But I, I challenge you to take this test. If you think, maybe I am addicted Maybe I do have something that's grabbing a hold of me. Can you lay it aside for one week and not have a problem not pursuing that? Now, obviously, there's some pretty integral stuff. We're all moderately addicted to food, aren't we? I'm very addicted to air. Very addicted to air. I need it constantly. There's some things that are integral to us, but there are things that are not so integral to us. And I I challenge you this week, if you say, maybe this is an addiction, can you lay it aside? If you can't, next week when you come back, I'm telling you you have a real addiction on your hands. And you need a Holy Spirit chain breaker to knock those chains off of you so you don't have to be addicted to that thing. Even more serious, though, than all of this talk about sex and food and activities that are addiction, there's an addiction that all of us struggle with. And that's our addiction to sin. It's our addiction to sin. Though many of the things that are sinful really in our society, they're not frowned upon. They're not looked down upon. These attitudes, activities, and attributes go against what God would want for our life. There's this verse in Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It says that all of us who work, basically work through our lives, and keep falling short of the glory of God by sinning, it says that someday the wage for that that's paid to us is death. But a gift that God gives us is eternal life. Here's what it really means, okay? And, and, and scan with me on this one. Focus in for a second. If you're addicted to sin, what it really means is you're addicted to death. You're addicted to death. And someday, maybe not today, maybe not even a year from now, maybe who knows, someday that addiction is going to come knocking at the door for the wage due, which is death. Jesus is this healing agent, though. I want to read this to you. Um, it's this verse. It's pretty long, and I'll, I'll admit that, but I'm going to read it to you in the message. What I want you to do is, is, I know sometimes it's hard when people read for you to, to connect with it, but, but try to listen to the words I say, because this is an awesome, an awesome aside that Paul gives one time when he's talking. Um, uh, and... I think it just so applies to what we're dealing with, okay? So kind of scan with me on this one here, okay? Paul's been talking a lot about sin and about, about what it means to be a, a follower of God. He says this, I can anticipate the response that's coming. I know that all God's commandments are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? 
Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in with this delight. Part of me covertly rebels. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and he does. He can, he will. He can, he will. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it was, by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Listen to this. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's actions in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ending up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. It's a long section. Let me break it down for you. He says, I try. I try to do what's right. But every time I do, somehow something inside of me gets the better of me, and I can't do it. And I try to say I'm not going to do that thing anymore, but every time I say that, I still go back to it. He says, something's obviously wrong. The only answer is Jesus Christ. I love the end of this when he says these words. It's not about redoubling our efforts or getting obsessed with ourselves and how we can beat this addiction. Instead, it's about accepting a free gift from Jesus Christ of salvation and the breaking of the chains of our addiction. The only way out is just trusting Jesus. Whether it's our addictions 
our physical addictions or whether it's our addiction to sin. He says the one thing that's going to break that and take it away is trusting Jesus, is trusting the Holy Spirit to break those, not on focusing on yourself. Jesus will bring a Holy Spirit chain breaker to your addictions. He will destroy the things that keep you bound so you can run out of that jail. But if we look back at Acts, where we started, the story of Peter, all the way at the beginning, we see an interesting little piece of it that has to be, has to be looked at and understood. In verses 7 through 9, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. If you notice, God broke the chains, but God did not pick Peter up and drag him out of that cell. The same exact thing applies to us this morning. God will break the chains of your addiction, but the only way it happens is if it's a twofold effort. He breaks your chains, and then you follow him out of the jail cell. You follow him out, and you can be free of it. It takes us taking that step. It says in, the, in God's word that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. It's another one of those pictures that God's willing to break our chains, but he says, I'm not going to carry you out of this place. He says, you have to stand on your own two feet and follow me out. So you're going to have to take that step as well too. God will break the chains of your physical, emotional, sin, addictions, and he will make you free so that you can run from that jail cell. So here's what it comes down to, and this is what I like is, I hate messages that don't have application. If you ever hear messages that don't have application, it it drives you nuts sometimes, right? How do I actually do something with this? And I'll explain it to you really, really simply and break it down for you, okay? One, if you have an addiction this morning in your life, I want you to come up here. You say, I'm done with this. I don't want this in my life. I want you to come up here and really simply, Deb and I are going to pray for you. And we serve a God who both can and will break chains of addiction. And this morning as you come up and you say, God, I want to give you this addiction, I wholeheartedly believe that God's going to break the chains of those addictions. Do I mean that immediately you're going to walk out of here and never struggle with it again? No. No. That'd be a lie for me to tell you that. But what I'm saying is God can break the chains that are keeping you where you can't get free. He can break the chains so that you can begin to follow him out of that jail cell. You need someone to knock those loose because otherwise you're just going to keep tugging on them and never get away. You need to come bring that addiction and say, God, I need your help, and he'll break it. And I I mean this in all different aspects. And I hope to God we're a church that realizes that when someone gets up, are we going to be judgment? Oh, God, I wonder what they're addicted to, right? Uh." We all all have addictions. I'm going to stand up here and ask for prayer this morning. I have addictions in my life that I need God to break me of, things that I still struggle with, and I realize I have to give these to God. It could be anything. It could be the fact that you do deal with something like alcohol, cigarettes, not like those things are necessarily killing you, but the things you don't want in your life, they have a hold of you. It could be things like a relationship. There's people who are addicted to relationships. They cannot get away from them. There's people who are addicted to um, food. It's not the fact that they just eat to live, but they live to eat and they can't deal with it. There's people who are addicted to, you know, it could be anything. We, had, we put gaming up there. People can be addicted to something like that that takes over their life and they can't get free of it. It could be the internet. It could be issues of pornography and things like that that are in our life. Whatever it is this morning you say, I can't get free of, 
what you need to do this morning is come up, drop some of your pride, and say, God, I want to give this to you. And we're not going to announce it to the whole group behind you, but we want to pray for you and say, God, we need you to break these, these chains of addiction so that they can escape this jail cell. That's okay. I don't, no problem. Number two. Number two, okay? If you do not know Jesus this morning and you realize that where you sit today, you are addicted to death and sooner or later it's going to come to collect its wage, this morning I ask you, if you realize something has to change, come up and pray with Deborah and we want to pray for you for Jesus to break your addiction to sin. And if you make Jesus Christ your Lord, that verse, uh, Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. We live a life of, of sin. When we die, we get eternal death. But he says the gift of God is eternal life. What I mean is this, is if you accept Jesus' gift of dying on the cross and paying for your sin, it says that he found a loophole that's going to take you away from that eternity of hell and take you into an eternity of heaven with him. And that doesn't mean everything's going to be figured out. I admit that. It's hard. But the first step is giving our life to Christ and saying, I know I need your help. Third, if you really don't think you have an addiction this morning, take my challenge. Take my challenge and come back a week from today and see if you do or do not have an addiction. Because if you do, I'm going to offer the same thing again next week, that you can come up and you can lay that addiction down before God. There's a lot here. Four, okay? No matter whether or not you are going to come up and get prayer or whether or not today you realize it's not me. But I want to give you this challenge too. If you have time this week, actually, you know what? None of us have time. If you make time this week, I want you guys to go ahead and grab a Bible. Read Romans 5 through 8. It's a terrific picture of what it means to have Jesus help you out through stuff. Romans 5 through 8 is an amazing little section, just three chapters, but it's powerful. And five, come back next week because this is only half of a message. Next week, I want to continue to talk about what else we see in this passage with with Peter. There's far more than just simply God breaking addictions. He can do that this morning, but there's more to it than just that. And I want you to hear the whole story. Come back next week and I want to tell you about the rest of the story and how you continue with it, okay? All right, I want to pray, and then you guys go ahead and respond whatever way you feel is necessary this morning. God, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you, God, that you are a God who both can and will break addictions. I know it, and I believe it. I ask this morning that you would just work in our hearts, God, that people who need to give things up this morning, you would prompt them in their spirit right now. Right now that although maybe it's scary to get up and to to walk up front, although it's it's awkward and it it knocks down some of our pride, I pray to you, God, that you would make just a a weight in their heart, just a, a feeling, a pit inside their stomach that realize that's me this morning. I need this. I pray to you, you would bring them here. I pray to you, God, that those who don't know you, uh, they need you, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, that they would come up here this morning too, and we'll celebrate with them as they accept your free gift of salvation. God, I pray to you that this week you would work on people if they're willing to take this challenge, and you would show them whether or not they are addicted or not to things, because we should be mastered by no thing. And I thank you, Jesus Christ, for being such a good God. Lord, keep everyone safe this week. Um, keep them safe as they go home, and give them an amazing week where you meet with them. It's in your precious name I pray, Jesus. Amen.